Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we begin a new mini-series in our study of Genesis as we take a look at the life of Abraham and God's call on his life to make a move. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Uh, if I have yet to meet you, my name is Tim, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. How's everyone today? Good? Good. Catching up on some basketball? So, uh, I think this might be the best tournament I've seen yet. Just If you're not into basketball, you're missing out. I'm just naming it. All right. Uh, anybody got plans for the sunshine? Because it's probably going away later today what I'm hearing. Uh, Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Uh, This, uh, so so we're now at the spot in Genesis that I've been most excited to walk with you through. Um, And uh, for the first time, we get to walk through it semi-slowly as we kind of process through the story of Genesis. Uh, We are, so the, the, you can think of almost the first, like the first 11 and a half chapters as setting a foundation. We well, they're really important to establish the foundation, but now we're going to get into this epic story of this family who becomes a, a series, of, so a man who becomes a family, who becomes a nation, uh, and then through uh, Jesus' extension to the church, um, the mission that this man's supposed to carry on is our mission to carry on. And so uh, today we get to, to launch into the story of Abraham, a man by the name of Abraham. And uh, um, so if you missed the last, uh, the, the, we started in, in January. Here's my summary of January through now. Um, we covered 11 chapters. Uh, really, uh, what the foundation of these 11 chapters, uh, you can, there's a lot going on there, but the, the core concept is God is good. He creates a world that is good. Uh, and God has created people and he's created us good. And yet what you find in those first chapters is that um, sin has infected and affected all of it. Uh, And so what was good is all of a sudden moved into chaos. And so God initially sets out to partner with people to on this restoration project to, uh, to, to, to reclaim the world that he's created. Uh, And initially it's all people. God says to Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and take care of it all. And they blow it. And then God reaches out again to Noah and his kids. Take care of it all. And they blow it. And by the time you get to chapter 11, God switches strategies. And he says to Abraham, I am going to partner with you. And I'll bless you and your family. And then later, by extension of Jesus to the church, uh, the church to model a way of life. But not just model a way of life, to be the people who go into the places that are most hurting, most broken, and I want you to go and, uh, and be my ambassadors to them. Be good news to them. And so uh, we are looking at the, the, the question that kind of drives this whole thing is, what makes Abraham different? 
Why is it that God will entrust his whole story to Abraham and his family? He's not perfect. You're going to see very quickly, Abraham is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he is different. And so what makes Abraham different that God would trust all of it into his hands? And is there anything that we can embody uh, that Abraham embodies um, in our faith? And, and as we try to live this out in our neighborhoods and schools and businesses, um, it, like what characteristics does Abraham possess? Uh, so with that set up, uh, we are going to be in chapter 11. Um, by the way, this is, this is one of those uh, stories that I remember exactly where I was when I stumbled upon some of the stuff I get to share with you today. And I remember exactly where I was sitting. And it's, it's, it's hard to describe, but uh, there's some teachings when you see them for the first time, it's like you get this like electric, like, what? what? Uh, and and uh, this is one of those. So hopefully I can do, I can get out of the way to, to kind of show you some of that stuff. Uh, but Genesis 11, we're going to begin in verse 16. These are the words that changed history. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Reu. And after he became the father of Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he became the father of Sarug. And after he became the father of Sarug, Reu lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Sarug lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. I know this is like blowing your mind. So some of you are thinking like, oh, thank you, Pastor Tim. This is exactly what I needed. My soul is engraving this. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, which, by the way, is a great name for a boy, I think. Uh, that's my son's name, if you didn't know. Uh, by the way, Abram is going to become who? Abraham. Okay, so this is, this is the Abraham. So Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Uh, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Okay, now if you're uh, taking notes, uh, something we talk about a lot at South Harbor, uh, when you come across a location, especially in this point in Genesis moving forward, when you come across a location, a, a name of a city, uh, a place, um, and the author goes out of their way to tell us this name, you want to be paying attention. There's something going on with this city that the author wants you to see. So write down the name, circle it if you brought your own Bible. Um, that name is probably going to come up in our story. Verse 29, uh, uh, Abram and Nahor both married. The, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Okay, so now we got another location. Write down the word Canaan. I know this feels like, what, this is so, what? what? Uh, write down the word Canaan. It's probably coming back up. But when they came to Haran, another location, circle the word Haran, uh, these three locations, Ur of the Chaldeans, Canaan and Haran will be crucial to our story. 
But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Let me just pause here. I just notice God doesn't say where. Later, God's going to say, go to, go to Canaan. But here he just says, go. Um, just, just step out. And as you go, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll bless you. I'll, that, that's coming. But, but I just need you to go. One of, the, one of the things you discover when you read the Bible is often uh, the, the, step of, the first step of faith. God just says, I need you to step towards me, and then I'll meet you. Uh, remember the story of Joshua has got to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And there's a rush. We're told that the river, the Jordan River is at flood stage. And uh, then you get to this line. Um, Once your feet touch the water, the water will part. Which is like, you, you may be stepping to your death, but I need you to take a step first. Uh, when Jesus meets his disciples, he says, uh, so imagine he goes up to Peter. Peter's out fishing. Peter, come follow me. He doesn't say where he's going. He doesn't say, you're going to be an apostle. You're going to, you're going to like change the world, Peter. He just says, you come follow me. Uh, the first step of faith is often, I think um, this is how it works for me, at least. Uh, often I want to know the whole plan. Like I, like from like the big faith stuff to just like the little stuff. Like I want to know the whole plan. Okay, what's this job do? What's the benefit package? What's, I want all the details. Um, but often what you find is God says, take a step of faith. Um, if you sense me nudging you, uh, and I'll meet you in it. Uh, verse two, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So take the step of faith and I'll meet you in it. I will change the world for you, Abraham, but you gotta take the step of faith. And then these words change history. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75, 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Now, I, uh, we'll, we'll pause the story here, end the story here today. But I know on face value, you read a story like this, and it feels like one of those really dull stories. Like, it's a bunch of data. Like, this guy had this kid, and this guy had this kid, and this guy had this kid, and this guy had this. It feels like one of those stories where it's like, it's a, the opening sequence of a movie where you're just given all of this information, but it's not, it's just there because you need the content, but you don't really, it's not really good storytelling. So they don't, like, like it, you don't actually need it for the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie is the fun stuff. Uh, it kind of feels like it's just kind of dull. But historically, understand that this passage we just read is, at, like, th this story has influenced the world um, more, other than maybe the resurrection story of Jesus. This story here has impacted our world more than any other. Uh, three and arguably four of the world's major religions all trace our roots back to this story. So uh, Jews, Judaism, and Christianity both trace our lineage back to Father Abraham through his son Isaac. Uh, Muslims trace their lineage back through Father Abraham and his son Ishmael. And then I've got a friend who is, uh, he's a missionary in India, and he makes the argument, and I think it's brilliant, he makes the argument that Hinduism 
actually, you could potentially make the case that Hinduism um, can trace their roots back to Abraham as well. Uh, The reason is that in Hebrew, you don't have any vowels. And so the name Abraham is just B-R-H-M. The vowels came later. In earliest Hebrew, there's no vowels. So it's just B-R-H-M. And the main god of Hinduism is this god, Brahma. Uh, and Brahma's uh, female goddess counterpart, you know what her name is? Sarah Swarty. So he makes the case, and he's convinced. He's like, if I can help them see this, now we can hold up and say, which one seems truer to Abraham uh, and the God that Abraham, the, the God that invited Abraham uh, to step out? Which one? Uh, is it Hinduism? So if we can make this case, he says it's like it's evangelism. Like we can actually like help uh, a Hinduistic world to see Jesus. Um, Anyway, three or four, you guys look fascinated by that. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Three or four of the major world religions all trace our story back to this moment. Okay, so this moment is huge. The moment that Abraham steps out of an old land and into a new land, this new land that he steps into is known first as we just read it. Canaan, Canaan, uh, Canaan. This moment will change history. Uh, now, um, what's interesting to the story, and the thing that when I first saw this, I'm like, wait, wait, what do I do with this? Uh, the thing that's really interesting in the story is Abraham isn't the first person in this story. We tend to start in chapter 12. We skip like all the, like this person had this kid and this kid, this kid. But if you actually read through that boring stuff, uh, there's something really fascinating in it. Abraham is not the first person to start a journey that will attempt to get to Canaan. Somebody else tries to do it. Who? Terah, Abram's dad. Uh, here's the verse, verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set off from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Har- Haran, they settled there. So Abram's dad, Terah, is apparently heading to Canaan, but he stops at a different city. Here's the, the, uh, the questions that this first produced in me. Is this a coincidence? Like, why does the author tell us this? Uh, is this just a coincidence that this is in our, our text? That Abra- Abraham is going to be the hero, and here's a coincidence. His dad also tried to do the thing he will become a hero for doing. Uh, is that just a coincidence or did God, now we don't know, we got to read between the lines, but did God first call Terah and Terah started the journey, but then he stops. And if Terah had finished the journey, would kids be gathered around campfires and singing a song about how Father Terah had many sons. Many sons said, Father Terah, I am one of them, and so are you. Right arm, left arm, stomp your foot. Uh, like, would, like, would Terah have been the hero? Did Terah, I mean, I guess that's the best language is, did he blow it? Did he not do the thing God needed him to do? And why? I want to pose to you, I propose to you uh, three theories why I think Terah stopped. And uh, there are three theories that I think come from the text itself and also three theories that I uh, see in my own life and the things that I have wanted to pursue but have stopped in. And I see it in the life of, of us, um, things that keep us from getting at the goals God wants, uh, the things God needs us to do is maybe a better way to say that. Uh, now, let me name this before we dive all the way in. Um, I, this is really easy to say. 
it's much harder to live. Okay, so um, hear me. I, I want to teach through the scriptures on this, but it's really easy to proclaim. It's really easy to preach. It's really easy to say. Um, it's really cheap to say it. Um, but there are people who have lost their lives for trying to live this. And, uh, and so here's three theories uh, for potentially why uh, the things that keep many of us from living into the kinds of people God believes, God knows that we can be. Uh, theory number one is perhaps the reason Tara stops is because he's tired. Uh, let me show you a map. So uh, Tara starts at this city called Ur of the Chaldeans, Ur, and he makes his way to Haran and he stops at Haran. He's on his way, we're told, to go to Canaan, but he stops at Haran. Uh, maybe he's just tired. Now, one of the things, I, when I first looked at this map, I thought, why, why wouldn't he just go this way? Why, does he, why don't you just put your compass west? It's a lot cheaper. It's a lot quicker, right? Like, go west. You got a lot, like, it's a, it's a, direct, it's a direct stop. This is like getting in a, on a road trip and saying, oh, we're going to go to Florida, but let's take a pit stop in California. Like, wh- why would you go all the way around there to get there? Uh, why do this long travel? Let me show you a satellite map. It'll answer the question. Uh, in between, it's kind of blurry, but in between is the Arabian Desert. Uh, the Arabian Desert is brutally hot during the day. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's like a suicide mission to try to travel through that, uh, even today with modern equipment and technology. And at night, it's, it gets down to like freezing temperatures at night because there's not much cloud cover. There's no cloud coverage. It gets down to freezing at night. So brutally hot by day, uh, brutally cold at night. Uh, you don't travel through the desert. So he does uh, what you would do if you had to make this journey. He travels up along the, the Euphrates River from Ur, and he makes his way to Haran. This, now, this is a long journey. Uh, how long? I'm glad you asked. Uh, this is about 600 miles from Ur to Haran. It's about 600 miles. Uh, and from Haran down to Canaan is about 400 miles. Almost halfway. Now, I'm not, I'm not great at math, but I think I can do six plus four and then, uh, you know, like, move the zeros into the house and then take them back out of the house. I'm learning all these new math rules with my kids. Um, but uh, 600 miles plus 400 miles, 1,000 miles. Uh, I, I plug that into, uh, I was going to say MapQuest, but that's not right. That's, that, that's real old. I plugged it into the internet. Um, and uh, 1,000 miles is about the exact distance from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Orlando, Florida. Uh, I've made that drive. Anybody make that drive? Anybody planning a drive like that? It's a... Uh, I uh, made that drive last year in our minivan with uh, two, of, two of our kids. My wife took the youngest on an airplane. <laughs> she drew the, the, the short straw, I guess. Um, but, but I made the drive. Uh, it took 24 hours in a car. 24 hours. We were a little bit further south. We were um, just a bit further south. 24 hours in a minivan. Uh, the, by the way, I didn't, we didn't stop for the night. I feel very proud of that dad moment. We just did it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, but, tw- but 24 hours in a, in a minivan feels like a long, a long distance. 24 hours in a minivan feels like a long distance. A, ma- a thousand miles. Imagine by foot, by sandal, through the desert, uh, on your own, like you're, you're going for it. Like, can you imagine? So potentially, Tara, Tara starts out on this journey. God's called him into this big way of life. Uh, God's got this dream and this hope. And Tara, you're going to fix something in this world that's broken. It's infested. You're going to be the solution but I need you to leave. And so he starts out and he makes his way all the way up to Haran 
And he asks, you know, he stops at a restaurant in Iran and he says, hey, where am I? And, uh, oh, you're in Iran. Um, okay, how far is Canaan? Oh, you're about halfway there. Excuse me? <laughs> like maybe he gets there and he's like, like all of us, we get there and we're like, we got half, I'm only halfway there. I mean, think about how many of us, we set out on journeys in life and uh, initially we get this initial energy like, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose the weight or I'm going to start the fitness plan. Or, and, and initially it's like, wow, it's, it's, this is great. And you make your way and you're like, I passed January and I'm still going. Good for me. And then I get to February. It's like, I'm going to be in the best shape of my life by spring break. And then you get to spring break and you realize, okay, let, let's do spring break. And then you eat all the things on spring break. And then you get out of spring break and you're like, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> That's pretty real, isn't it? Um, or maybe more real is... Uh, if I've, had the, I've had the privilege of walking beside uh, many people through the roads of addiction. And um, uh, the path of recovery is a long and winding road through the middle of a desert. And especially those first few days, I remember the, the days of detox with a handful of guys. Just um, you can see the pain in their eyes. And uh, and um, many of them, you get to a certain spot and you just think, I can't keep doing this. The idea of a whole lifetime without the, the drug, the substance, the, the alcohol is too daunting to, to contemplate. Many of us stop um, because if we're honest, the journey to move to the end feels too big. Uh, there's, there's people who you know that are in relationships that they know they should not be in, but the idea of like having that conversation is, is so daunting that it's like, I can't imagine. Um, there are people who you know that will, will stop because the idea of moving forward into the unknown uh, is just, it's, it feels too long. I'm too tired. Uh, by the way, the, the word haran uh, in the Hebrew means parched. Parched. Maybe he gets to Haran and he realizes, I'm just tired. I've, I've done this a, lo- a long time. I came across a quote uh, a while back and um, it stuck with me. Uh, it, the quote says this, it says, whatever you're not changing, you're choosing. Whatever you're not changing, you're choosing. Whatever you're not changing, you're choosing. What we tend to do is we debate the options in our head, right? Like, okay, I know I'm supposed to, I want to kick the habit. I know I need to kick the habit. That's what I got to do. But I don't know when I should do that. Maybe I'll, like, I'll, I'll start tomorrow. I'll, I'll, kick the ha- I'll kick the habit tomorrow. Um, or uh, I want to, uh, single people, like, you, I, I want to pursue this person. And I think I'm, but I don't really want to go up to them now. So, you know, I'll do, I'll do that later. I'll, I'll do that later. And, uh, and, and so we end up, like, thinking we're doing a lot of work. Like we're like, because our brains are doing a lot of work, but we're actually not doing anything to, to, to step into the life that God needs us to step into. We're actually not doing anything for that. So we end up thinking we're doing the work, but we're actually just choosing to do another day the same thing we did yesterday. Whatever you're not changing, you're choosing. Um, change is hard. Change is hard. Uh, so maybe that's why Tara stopped. Uh, the journey just feels like too much. He's, he's tired. He reaches a place. Where am I? You're in Haran. Haran, that means parched. I'm parched. I'm tired. Uh, that's first theory. Here's second theory. Uh, this one uh, maybe even better than the first theory for why a lot of us stop. Maybe he stops because he has a broken heart. Maybe there's some pain or grief that is in him that he's still processing. A number of us stop because of trauma, right? Like that's 
Uh, one, of the, one of the things you will notice in walking with somebody in a goal is often the first steps are pretty relatively easy. Like you get like some motivation and some, ah, I'm going to do this. But uh, most of us will reach a point where we will realize uh, the barrier that's kept us at this point has been some kind of a, of a pain, a trauma, a heartache that's been in us. And what we realize is until we deal with that, we get stuck right there. We find ourselves right back there. Uh, you picked up a habit after you lost a loved one and you, you try to willpower through it. And then as soon as you think about it again, you're right back at the beginning. Um, the trauma of it all. Maybe he's heartbroken. Now here's the evidence from the text. Uh, notice this, that the place Terra stops is a city called, what was the name of the city? Haran. Okay, the name of the city, which by the way, if you're reading closely in the boring stuff, also is the name of a person. Have you noticed this? Haran is also the name of who? Verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now it's spelled slightly different, but it's pronounced identically. His youngest son. Uh, Verse 28. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Perhaps he's on his journey and God's got this plan for him. God, I need you to change the world, Tara. Like, you're going to be my conduit. You're going to be my ambassador. And he gets to Haran and he's tired and he stops at that restaurant and he says, hey, where am I? And for the first time in a while, he hears the name of his son that he buried back in her. And it opens something in him that he didn't realize he's still grieving uh, one of the most painful um, lines in this is the verse 28. The way the author describes this is uh, so honest. While his father, Terah, was still alive, Heron died. The author's trying to see, help us see that this is not how it's supposed to go. This, this order's backwards. Fathers are, are supposed, to, or, or sons are supposed to bury fathers. Fathers are not supposed to bury sons or daughters. That's backwards. That's backwards. I, um, some of you have experienced, you've tasted those tears. I, uh, as, a, as a dad, I cannot imagine a pain worse. I wouldn't cry just thinking about it. I cannot imagine a worse pain than that pain. And perhaps Tara sets out on a journey. God needs him to change the world. And he sets out on a journey and he gets to the city named, that sounds identical to the name of the son he just placed in the ground. And he realizes all that's in there. Pain has a way of freezing us, doesn't it? Uh, how, many, how many people are locked into abusive relationships because the idea of the pain of the abuse is so strong that the idea of moving forward just seems daunting. It's trauma, it's out there. How many of us lost someone and the trauma of that moment is just keeping us stuck? Uh, if you found yourself saying things like, you know, um, I, I've heard this. When I did college ministry, I heard this one a lot, actually. He broke my heart. He, uh, I trusted something uh, to him he, and he broke it. I handed him my heart and he, please be good to it. And he was careless with it, and now I'll never trust another man again. You know, she, uh, 
She doesn't listen. She doesn't care. She doesn't seem to really appreciate me. Um, she doesn't respect me. And so I, I won't divorce her. I won't leave her. But I'm done trying to fix this. I mean, how many of us, we have like this pain in us. Uh, um, I, uh, students especially, I, I, I feel invisible. I walk into the cafeteria. I look around the cafeteria. No one wants to make eye contact with me. I think I'm invisible. And so I, I have to endure. Remember the cafeteria? I've got to go find a spot to sit so that I don't, uh, don't look completely ridiculous. I've got to find a spot to sit, but nobody wants to sit with me. Maybe I am unlovable. Pain has a way of shutting us down. And so maybe that's what happens in the story. Maybe he gets halfway, the pain's real, and he stops. Theory number three, um, and I actually think this theory involves both theories. Uh, it actually, it, or all three theories. I think this one is an umbrella for the other two. Uh, theory number three, third reason why potentially he maybe stops, has to do with fear. Fear. Uh, now, to show you this, I got to walk you through a little bit of history. I'm sorry on the front end, but I, I find it interesting. Uh, some history. Uh, the city Terra Leaves is known as, let me show you a map again. Uh, city Terra Leaves is known as Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, that name, Ur of the Chaldeans, sounds like, okay, what is Ur of the Chaldeans? Who cares? Never heard of that before. But Ur of the Chaldeans is one of the major cities in world history. Uh, Ur of the Chaldeans is the largest city in one of the oldest, arguably the oldest empires in the world, an empire known as Mesopotamia. You heard of Mesopotamia? Many argue they gave us written language for the first time, Mesopotamia. Uh, before there was Egypt, there was Mesopotamia. Before there was Greece, there was Mesopotamia. Before there was Rome, there was Mesopotamia. Before there was America, there was Mesopotamia. It's old. And the biggest city in Mesopotamia was a city known as Ur of the Chaldeans. It was like the, it was the city. Uh, so if you were to equate it to the United States, it would be like the New York or maybe the Washington, D.C. of of Mesopotamia, of the entire empire. Now, Mesopotamia was a massive empire. Uh, it was uh, a leading world empire for a reason. And the reason it was such a massive empire, they believed, was for one reason and one reason alone. Any guesses? The moon, obviously. <laughs> So what they saw was, okay, this moon does this like 30-day like cycle thing. And the 30-day cycle seems to be connected with the, the growth of our crops. Uh, and so if the moon doesn't do its 30-day cycle thing, our growth of our crops don't, we don't have food. But in addition to this, they observed that a woman's menstrual cycle seems to function on like a 30-day cycle. It's somehow connected to the moon. So if the something's off with the moon, then the life inside of her belly will not grow. Now they called this moon god, they referred to this moon god by a specific name. They called this god Nana. Now we talked about Nana, if you've been around South for at least five or six years, I think it was six years ago maybe, we talked about Nana as in Nana said knock you out. Nana. <laughs> you gotta remember, I'm gonna get you to remember. Uh, it's another Nana song. Uh, Na, 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 na. Is that what? Yes. Hey, Jude. Yeah. I, Cause Nana, Nana, I'm coming home. Remember that? Yeah. Nana. I know. It's cheesy. You'll remember it. Uh, 
Uh, Nana, Nana plays a big deal in this particular story. Uh, again, we, we covered this a few years back. If you were here, uh, maybe a little dusty. You probably didn't remember it um, because I didn't have a mustache back then. And it's hard to trust a man without a mustache. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I think, had a guy at the gym say, he comes up and he's like, oh, mustache, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I like it. And then he goes, you look like a 70s po- police officer. <laughs> the moon god was named Nana. If uh, the harvest comes in and there's food on your table, who do you thank? Nana, if, uh, the belly, uh, if, if the, her belly begins to grow and there's new life in here, who do you thank? Nana, if the food doesn't grow, who must be angry with you? If that child doesn't grow, who must you have offended? Nana. So what do you do to make sure Nana is happy? Well, they said... We need to build a structure, a platform, something that we can offer offerings on, but something that also we can go up every day and we can somehow make peace with Nana. They built this structure, this temple. It's known as a ziggurat. That's the kind of architecture it is. Uh, Tower of Babel seems to be describing a ziggurat. The idea was... As you, as you climb the stairway to heaven, this story is going to come up in your Bible later. As you climb the stairway to heaven, also a great Led Zeppelin song. Uh, as you climb the stairway to heaven, you would elevate yourself up to the gods, they believed, and the gods would come down and you would meet in the middle. And that's where the sacrifices would happen. You would climb up and God would meet you down. Uh, this particular one uh, is, uh, so it was, do you remember the name uh, Saddam Hussein? Okay, so he reconstructed it, uh, I think, in the 90s. Um, but uh, the ruins were still impressive. This is the reconstructed one. Uh, the name for this one is Egishurgal. means house of the great light. Um, or if you're taking notes, just write down Big Nana's house. This is what this is. This is Big Nana's house. Uh, and uh, Egishurgal. <laughs> so cheesy. Uh, now, notice how the Bible describes Tara. <clears throat> Joshua, this is the uh, book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua told all the people, here's what the Lord, of, the Lord God of Israel says. In the distant past, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. They worshiped other gods. Now, if Terah is from Ur of the Chaldeans, beyond the Euphrates, what other gods is he worshiping? Who's the main god of Mesopotamia? Nana! He's worshiping Nana. Now, one more thing to know about history, and then we'll bring some relevance. To the ancient people, the gods are territorial. It's a big, big deal in this story. The gods are territorial, meaning if God shows up and has power in this territory, it's because that God is good and he's got power in this territory. But he can't go next door. He's the God of this nation, not the God of that nation. The God, uh, when the Israelites are leaving Egypt, the, the Israelites initially, they, they leave because their God has power. This, this Yahweh God has power in Egypt. But as soon as they get to the desert, you remember what they do? They start grumbling and complaining and saying, uh, he has no power in the desert. He's just a territorial God. That's how they understood gods. 
There's a, so if, if we lived in an ancient world, Byron Center would have a God and Wyoming would have a God and Kentwood would have a God and the God of Kentwood can't go into Wyoming and the God of Wyoming can't go into Byron Center. And if life is going well in Byron Center, it's because the God of Byron Center is strong. And if life is not going so well over in Kentwood, it's because that God of Kentwood is a little bit less strong. Does that make sense? Each God has its own territory. Now, the reason I tell you this is because, let me show you the map again. Mesopotamia starts down here in this, they called it the fertile, the fertile crescent, the fertile valley. Uh, so Ur of the Chaldeans is the southern border. If you came in off of the sea, they wanted you to see the very first thing, this giant temple, the house of the great light. Nana is our God. That's why we're successful. But what happens if you're coming in up and around? How do you know that this land is so good because of Nana? A couple decades ago, they discovered a second temple. A second temple to Nana in the form of a ziggurat. Guess where the second temple is located? In Haran. In Haran. Maybe Tara, he sets out on this journey. And God says, go. And he's going to go to Canaan. And he gets to the second temple and he sees the second temple in Haran and he realizes if I take one more step, I'm on my own. If I take one more step, I knew this land. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. I lost, a, I lost my kid back there, but I have some others. But if I step into this new land, I'm, gonna, I'm all on my own. I'm all on my own. If you've got anyone in your life who's... who's stepped into a world where it's like a conversation and their whole world shifts. The tremendous amount of courage it takes to take that step. Uh, if you're a first-generation Christian, uh, the, the conversation you had with your family to say to them, I think I'm, I think I'm doing this. The tremendous amount of courage that conversation takes Maybe he gets to the very edge and he realizes, I don't know that I can do this. That's historical, but I think it's also really practical. Um, I, I, I imagine here in this room, there are some of us who God has called into a new, uh, a new space, an unknown land. I was talking to somebody after the first service and like, I'm starting a new, a new thing and it's, it's an unknown land. Uh, and that first step out of the old thing to step into the new thing is the scariest part. Maybe it's an old job and into a new job. Maybe it's a, an old relationship that's not healthy into a new relationship. Maybe it's, um, maybe single people, maybe it's actually just going and approaching somebody new for the first time and, and the courage it takes to have that. Uh, it takes, why does God choose Abram, Abraham and not Noah and not Adam? I propose to you, it's not because Abraham is perfect. He's far from perfect. Why does God choose Abraham? He seems to exhibit a kind of courage that you do not see in the others. A kind of willingness to trust God with it. Uh, this idea that, God, I need you to come with me. He's got the chutzpah. Come with me, God. But he's got a sense of courage. Uh, the ancient rabbis tell a story. <clears throat> it's a midrash, they call it. A story about this moment. It's not in your Bible. It's not, it's not biblical. Um, but it's a story they tell of this moment to try to get at a char- this character of courage inside of Abraham. 
They tell a story about the night Abraham leaves. And the story goes like this. They say, on the night Abraham leaves uh, his father Terah's house, he takes all of the gods that Terah had been bowing down to, and he smashes the gods, all of them except for one. He then takes the club he used to smash the other gods, and he puts it into the hands of the god he didn't smash. And when Terah, his dad, wakes up, Terah sees all, the, all of his gods in pieces on the ground, and he looks at Abram, and he says, why did you do this? What were you doing? Why would you do this? To which Abram says, why are you blaming me? He's holding the club. <laughs> to, which, to which his dad, Terah, says, but he, he can't do it. He's just sticks and stones. To which Terah, or to Abram says, then why do you bow down to them? And why? That's courage. That's the kind of courage that, will ch that changes our world. To stand up for it. It takes a lot of moxie in our world to be a Christian, true, to be a true Christian. Uh, parents, let's talk just to the parents for a second. Uh, parents, when we teach our kids this word Christian, when we're trying to help them under, what, what are we passing down to our kids? What, what are we telling our kids that it means to be a Christian? Like, I remember a really sincere older man, and I, he, one of his advice he said to me um, before I went off to college, and he said it very sincerely. He said, okay, Tim, you're going to go to college. Here's what I need you to remember. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. Is that all it is to be a Christian? We're just the really good people who don't go to the parties too long. Uh, we're the people who tip really well, maybe an extra 2%. Uh, we're the people who smile and are really polite. Is, uh, is that all that it means to be a Christian? And if so, is there any wonder that there's a whole generation that sees the whole thing and says, well, it's irrelevant and it's boring? It is is all, the, the entirety of what it means to be a Christian is you're just a really good person who's really, really nice. Uh, how on earth, here's a question, how on earth did the words safe and comfortable ever get associated with church and Jesus? When you actually look at the life of Jesus, how did the word safe and comfortable, if, uh, uh, here's, here's something I've heard before, is, uh, uh, again, a very, I love the honesty of this man, but he came to me and he says, Timmy, tell us that Jesus says to love everybody, and I think that's right, I think that's good. He says, but I don't know that it's practical. I said, tell me more. He says, uh, on the, in the business fields, you, you just need to have, like, you, sometimes you gotta, you gotta do hard things. It takes some courage to be a leader in the business world. It takes courage. That was the word he used. It takes some courage. Show me a man who's got any more courage than Jesus. Honestly. Uh, we're almost at Holy Week. Jesus will walk his disciples to a spot where he knows that there are mobs wanting to kill him. He brings his disciples there. And on Palm Sunday, they, they literally say, Jesus, you got to calm down. They're going to kill you if you keep talking like this. He doesn't turn around and go home. He goes into the temple where the, the people that are doing the worst things, ripping people off. And he goes into the temple and he confronts them. And again, they say, Jesus, you got to calm down. They're going to kill you. For four days, there are people that say, Jesus, if you keep doing this, they're going to kill you. To the point where the night he knows it's going to happen, he goes to the spot, prays. And when Peter says, well, maybe we can fight him, he says, Peter, put away your sword. I'm not going to fight. 
I'm going to hand myself over. He's then beaten. He's flogged, whips. uh, He's spat on. He's placed on a cross. And from the cross, he looks down on a Roman centurion, the guy responsible for putting him there. And he says, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand. Tell me that's not courage. Tell me that, that just being somebody who has good business, business ethics is more courageous than, than Jesus. What you will find in your Bible is that any, everyone, so why does God choose Abraham? Every single person God will use in the Bible, many of them are, uh, make all kinds of mistakes, tons of mistakes along the way. That's actually what it means to be human. Like we all make mistakes. But one of the things they all have to a T is they have this line of courage, this willingness to trust God no matter what, from Abraham to Moses to David to the disciples to MLK and Mother Teresa uh, and many missionaries today that are, that are leading on the front lines of mission work to doctors and nurses who are, uh, who are strapping. Courage, right? The, why does God use them? The courage. Uh, Parents, um, and I, I think about myself because I find myself using this language of just be safe. Now, being wise and being like, that's fine, but like, is that all we want our kids to do is just, just be safe? Is that what it means to just be a Christian? Uh, did, did you know that, um, uh, you know this line, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. You know what? That's part of his like, Sermon on the Mount. You know what salt's intended purpose is for in the first century? We want to say it's a, um, it's a flavoring, it's a seasoning, and Christians are to make life taste better, and that's our job is to make great art. That's, that's, that's cute. Um, but in the first century, it is cute. Uh, in the first century, salt is a preservative. In fact, uh, the city of Magdala um, launched a massive, so Mary Magdalene, Magdala, right up the street from where Jesus is doing his ministry. Magdala launched a massive industry in the first century in which they started salting sardines. Because what they recognized was that if we add some salt to meat, the meat won't rot. It doesn't stink as bad. It lasts a little bit longer. See Jesus' metaphor? I want you disciples, you kids from Bethsaida and Chorazin and Nowheresville, I want you to see yourself different. Don't just see yourself as like, we're just good people who just love really well and tip really nice. No, you see yourself as the people who go to the filthiest places where, the, where it's rotting and stinking and you go there. Be good news to them. Preserve them. That's the call of Abraham. Keep looking at Max. I know you know this story, right? Like, like go there. Um, and I say this is way easier to, to preach this sermon than it is to live this sermon. It's way easier to preach this sermon than it is to live this sermon. Um, but, but I'm convicted too that I think many of us in our world stop way too soon. We stop way too soon. God has this massive call that I believe probably first came to Tara. And Tara, whether it's pain, whether it's, uh, it's loss, whether it's fear of the other, uh, Tara stops. Now, does God bless him? Sure, he's got a great family. And I imagine he died, but, but he's an asterisk in the history books. He doesn't live into the potential he could have lived into. A P.S. that I don't have time for, but that's okay. Uh, a P.S. Um, I'll do the P.S. It was going to take me like 15 to 20 minutes, but I'm going to do it in two. Uh, Nana, 
has two kids. Uh, one is the, the god of the sun, and one is the god of the stars. Um, so Nana becomes the god of the sun and the stars. Uh, the moon god becomes the god of the sun. This god of the sun's name is Shamash. Uh, then the, Nana becomes the god of, of the stars. Her, she's a female god, her name is Ishtar. She represents the goddess of fertility, of new life. Ishtar, in English, you would say as... Easter. Uh, do you know the symbols that get connected to Ishtar in ancient culture? What's a little animal that reproduces? A bunny. Uh, what's a symbol for reproduction? An egg. So in the F- Abraham's day, there were Ishtar services with Ishtar bunnies and Ishtar eggs. The first Christians entered that world, and what they did is brilliant. They enter that world, and instead of, uh, of burning it all down and saying, you heathens, ah, what they do is they go into that world and they say, oh, you believe in life? Let me tell you about the God of life. They take the Easter bunny, the Easter bunny, they take the Easter egg, and to this day, we still gather, and we, none of us are bowing down to Easter when we, bow, when we celebrate Easter. We, they took the symbols, these pagan, stink rotting symbols, and they reapplied them to Jesus as a way of helping people see where good news truly comes from. Every missionary will uh, tell you that one of the first things you do is you enter a mission field and you do your best to affirm everything you can affirm. And then you try to help them see Christ in the midst of it. You don't just burn it all down. You go in and say, oh, you're a kind mother. That, that's an admirable quality that we find in Jesus Oh, you're, you're trying to be a good business person. That's an ad. Courage. Uh, Lord. Um, uh, you never send people just out alone. You always send us with community. And so, Lord, we recognize that uh, a journey of courage is not an isolated or individualistic journey. Uh, Lord, but you gave us each other to cheer each other on. You gave us each other to help us to discern what it actually is to follow you, what is the right next steps. Uh, Lord, you gave us this community. You gave us community. You gave us the church uh, as a way of, um, of taking the steps together. Uh, but Lord, we also recognize that uh, we live in a world that is hurting. Uh, Lord, there, we live in a world where uh, there is the smell of rotting and decay. Um, Lord, we live in a world where literally um, uh, people are dying, children are dying, um, and no one is holding them, no one is hugging them. Uh, Lord, we live in a world that is so broken. And Lord, we want to be your, the, the salt of the earth. Uh, Lord, we want to bring your kingdom to all nations. Give us the courage. Lord, help us to start in our own backyards. Help us to start in our own dinner tables. Help us to start... Uh, in the relationships that we have in our own lives. But Lord, would you give us the courage to do it? Uh, Jesus, we love you and we trust you. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org. 
or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.